This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Good morning and welcome to Dollars and Change. I'm Catherine Klein, Vice Dean for Social Impact here at Wharton. And good morning, everyone. I'm Sandy Marrow-Hunt, Senior Director here at the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. And it is always good to be on the air and talking social impact. And we haven't, we haven't co-hosted with you for a while, Sandy. I know. And it's the first show of Daylight Saving, so it's light in the studio. It's true. Which it is. brings a really nice energy. This is true. This Feels is different. This is different. It is good. And we always, as usual, we have a great lineup. Uh, with us in the studio this morning are Peter Yemdahl and Natasha Doherty. They are both students here at Wharton launching social impact ventures, and we're going to dig in with them and hear about what they're doing, why they created what they're creating. You know, and, and I'm very proud and excited because these are students we've known for years. Yay, know, thank it, you for having us, guys. It is great. And then we'll be talking also with our own. We actually have a quite Wharton, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Wharton-centric, Wharton-founded uh, uh, show because our next guest after we talk with Peter and Natasha will be Catherine Rosquetta. She's the founding executive director of the Center for High Impact Philanthropy here at Penn. She's also a Wharton alum, uh, and we'll talk with her all about the work she's been doing and thinking really deeply about how you create better, stronger impact through philanthropy. So, Kat, it's always a a joy and interesting to meet with Kat and talk with Kat. And then we'll be talking with Ed Markham. He's the Managing Director of Humanity United. Uh, Ed will be with us in about an hour. He brings more than 20 years of experience working on issues related to social just, justice and now taking a social justice perspective to, to venture capital and impact investing. So it should be a really interesting conversation. And then at uh, in an hour and a half, 8.30, we really open the phones and we say, let's talk about all these. Let's talk about these people. Let's talk about these ideas. Let's talk about the news. And we really invite you to join in and, and join the conversation with us. And we always love to hear from you. We're at one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four. Nine four two seven eight six six. So you can call us at any time. We'd it always makes you. me feel a little bit like we're doing a, a fundraising drive. <laughs> <laughs> when we read the number, Only, I always want to say we need four more callers. Only thirty-two <laughs> more seconds to call. That is. I am so glad we don't have to do that. Oh boy, yes, <laughs> that is really great. So, uh, you know, maybe, Sandy, let me turn it to you because you know these guys, and you uh, even better than I do, our beloved students here. So. Let me let you kick it off with Peter and Natasha. Sure. So for our listeners, uh, every week it seems like we're interviewing a different social entrepreneur. And we um, not we, it's not that we forget, but we don't often bring to you the social entrepreneurs that we get to spend our days with very often, our students. And so we are particularly proud when we get to play a role and sort of watch and see these students grow and develop from, um, you know, social impact curious students or they've got a fire in their belly to change the world or they've got a strong passion about a particular form of tech or design and then really seeing how it grows how it becomes a part of their pen experience and for the students we have with us today likely a part of their post pen experience as well Um, so it's just it's fun for me to get a chance to share those stories with our listeners and to demonstrate the kind of awesome work that's being done on this campus that is great so natasha let's uh let's start with you uh, you are a Wharton senior, part of the Turner Social Impact Society. I am. That is excellent. But the, one of the ways we support and uh, kind of nurture students who have a passion to make a, a, a large social impact. Tell us about 
uh, about Maggie. You are the founder of Maggie, an early stage startup. What is Maggie and why Maggie? Uh, so Maggie is named after Margaret Thatcher, who is one of the best British Prime Ministers of all Love time. That. Uh, Love that. I'm from England, but my mother's from California, so I have both US and UK citizenship. Um, Maggie is really about helping women to pick the best form of birth control that is for them. So on average in their lifetime, women use about five different forms of birth control and the discontinuation rates are very high. So the pill, for example, is the most common product that most people use. Um, but if you don't get a pack of pills for more than three months or a year, you will of like often stop um, using that product. Uh, due to side effects or you forget to take one and as I learned from the birth control conference that I went to last week I was very very lucky to be sponsored by Warden the Warden Social Impact Initiative to go to this conference Thank and you. one of the things that I learned was that only about 1% of women are very good pill takers which means that they actually can take the pill every single day uh, indefinitely so I think the, the thing that we need to is just it, wait a minute, we have yeah. to ask you this question is that about compliance like only 1% yeah. actually remember no it's it's like over a period of time yes over a year or two years because um, oh, it, it's very easy to make that mistake and you know take you forget to take the pill one day you have to take um, two another day it's it's just like a human thing, you know. I think people this have is, been... This is fascinating, I have to say. This was not a problem when I was on the pill. Like, really? You just take the pill. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, you brush your teeth, you take the pill. It's not that complicated, but yeah. obviously I'm wrong. Well, and I think if you think about just the the lifestyle of, you know, like you've got students who are on campus right. for three months, then they're on spring yes. break and they're somewhere else for 10 days, and do you... Pack yeah, your toilet you have treat to kit appropriately, or, right. and then you're back home. And... I think, I think in general, like I think it's really coming down to the fact that all of these things, all of the burdens are on women. Like, if you get pregnant, it's your fault. If you need to get an abortion, it's your fault. If you need to go to CVS to pick up Plan B in the middle of the week because whoever you you know had a one night thing with over the weekend didn't wear a condom, like that's your problem. And so this venture is really about saying, okay, well, how can we actually find women and help them better choose? a long-acting method that actually works for them um, and try to dispel some of the myths around it as well because I think this will really help a lot of women. You know, a, a three-year-long IUD might mean the difference between graduating from college or yeah. not for yeah. a lot of women. Yeah. Yeah. And um, one of the things yeah. I love about this venture in particular, and it's, it ties very closely, I think, with a lot of the work we see around um, fintech and financial technologies, it takes a topic that is difficult or um socially taboo to talk about yep. and gives people information in a format that meets them where they are. They can go on their phone wherever they are. If you're not comfortable asking your best friend if she has a 401k <laughs> and how much is in it and how much should be in it at age 35, hmm. you you know, and you're also not comfortable saying, well, what birth control? Do you feel like you're moodier? Right. Have you gained weight? Your skin's looking a little worse. Yeah. Is that that? You know, right. you're not having these conversations. So it's yeah. nice, you know, to see tech really stepping into some of these more difficult areas. Yeah, I guess the problem is, you know, I study data science at the Warden School and that's been a really great skill set for me to build. But the data set doesn't exist for this. So I I might That's need to go actually start from square one and say my next step now is to say, okay, which which women are the these birth control products actually working for, and can we get other women to read their stories and like understand what it's like to be on the IUD or have the implant, etc. Really interesting. So let, let Peter, let's bring you into the, sure. the uh, conversation. Peter Yemendal, you have co-founded a social a nonprofit social venture called Repurpose. Mm -hmm. So tell us what is Repurpose and why Repurpose. Yeah, for sure. First of all, thank you so much for uh, having the opportunity to be here. Really, really excited. Uh, so we first started when my teammates and I first traveled to 
the largest landfill site in Asia, uh, which is there in our east in Mumbai. And it is one of the, uh, it's, you know, when you go there, you really see the impact of our consumption, human Can you consumption. describe it for our, our yeah. listeners? Yeah. Uh, and when, when we first entered, you see that a garbage truck is entering literally every two minutes around the clock to dump a total of 7,500 tons of waste on a daily basis. Um, and it was a moment we were standing there and we're standing between this, you know, mountains of waste. Uh, and on the other end, you have um, this massive skyline that's booming, right? So you realize that there's a d- dichotomy here, that something wrong is, you know, with the way that we currently produce and manage the waste we produce on a daily basis. Um, so that's when we started. And then we also realized that as part of that environmental problem, there's a social angle. And the social angle is that uh, even when there's massive landfill, uh, landfilling and these landfills are overfilled, there's a very vibrant informal recycling industry in across the developing countries um, that actually takes recyclable waste and recycle all that they can. Uh, but people and workers at the bottom of the pyramid and the bottom of that recycling supply chain are earning anywhere between 5 $7 a day. Um, and that's something uh, we wanted to do something with, the environmental problem and the social problem. So uh, we are now a nonprofit social venture that aims to create an ethical and efficient supply chain of waste recycling in urban India uh, through technology. Um, and we developed a mobile marketplace for some of these marginalized uh, informal workers, uh, kabadiwal as they're called in Hindi, uh, who are the street-side sorters and do great environmental work, and a marketplace for them to better trade their products, better supply and better demand that uh, increases their margins and also increases the daily volumes and thus doubling the income. And uh, in doing so, actually divert waste from landfills towards recycling. That's so, great. Sounds like yeah. a, such a big mission. Uh, to really combine the the social and environmental there in India, and you're not from India. No, I'm not. Yeah, uh, <laughs> which is yeah, uh, and we uh, I actually traveled there for the first time uh, last August. I've been there for uh, a month and a half in total, working exclusively in this project. And my partners are uh, from India as well. And it's I guess like uh, it's tough because when I show up and you know I have like th- definitely does not look Indian, and you know talking to these partners on the ground, they're so surprised like why are you interested in this problem? Like why like you're not from our country? Like why are you interested in solving like our country's waste problem? But I think I just really resonated with when we first saw what was going on. I mean, it's hard to forget that yeah. in that kind of apocalyptic scenario that we saw in landfills. Yeah, so. I'd love to hear from both of you uh, about how you uh, you know how you. How you come up with these ideas, how you've developed them here sure. at, at Wharton. You know, I have to say, I don't think this was happening uh, when I was in college. There were not many people who were sitting right. in, like, the notion of entrepreneurship. It was only 10 years ago, but so much has changed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 10 years ago when I was in college, I did. Sometimes it feels that way, but mostly it doesn't. <laughs> um, no, this is, I, I think even in the last five years, we've seen a huge shift in what the students are not not even capable of because I think the capability's always been there, but what tools are there and what the expectation, the sort of possibility students see. Right. You know, I think we've always had brilliant yeah. students here, but now that is that is seen as a, a real possibility right. that you could right. come in and become a, an entrepreneur. Yeah. Well, I think the advent of technology has made it much easier. Um, you That's know, if you combine a Wharton student who's got an understanding of how to size a market and go after an opportunity, and an engineering student who can build you a mobile platform in a couple of weeks, it's very the barriers to entry right now are incredibly low. Um, and there's all this talk of innovation on campus all the time. I think I've, we've both been really lucky, Peter and I, right. for, I won't speak for you necessarily, but... Um, <laughs> I've been lucky as well. 
Potter show. I mean, show. we've yeah. been lucky because we've spent four incredible years here, and Sandy and Catherine have been with us the whole time. We've had amazing... I mean, I've done, like, tons of different venture competitions and constantly improving pitch decks and things for ideas that never even got off the ground. But, um, you know, eventually you kind of... You go through this exploratory phase for as long... For indefinitely, really, until you really find something that you think is going to stick and that you can actually imagine yourself dedicating more than just a couple of months to. Yeah. I will say with, with um, Tosh in particular, I've seen, you know, I've seen the ventures throughout the years and the concepts and the hunger to really be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And then when Maggie came along, it wasn't 30 seconds into the conversation. And I was like, that's it. That's your one. Yeah. Like, the, right. I can see the passion. I can see the click. I can see the market fit. This is the one you're really going to hold on to. And so. it's so fun because I think, you know, now that I, when you actually get to develop a product, you go through all the different stages and the life cycle and building the team and and when you actually can get traction and, and have momentum in that, it's it's super exciting. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I think just adding on that, I think it's really two things: it's the people and the money, right? From the from point of view of the people, is that we have great people, have great talent, uh, you know, among other exactly, students because yeah. we have so many schools at at the University mm-hmm. of Pennsylvania, and then also people who are supporting us, right? Uh, and also on the money point of view, I mean, there's so much early like pre-seed like fundraising opportunities available like a couple thousand dollars here and there that supports your first pitch competition that supports yeah. your uh first prototype and that's a, you know goes a really really long way uh, because that's the hardest you know hardest time to kind of be encouraged and be supported as an entrepreneur uh, i want to remind our listeners that uh, this is dollars and change and we're talking with peter yemdahl and natasha doherty both are our seniors at wharton i should remind you know tell people these we have fabulous we actually we have fabulous wharton students all through the you know the, 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 the chain for many yes. years so. we have our undergrads <laughs> we have our mbas we also have our phd students mm-hmm. these guys are undergrads they've done four years here they're they're wrapping up their four years at wharton and they're launching social enterprises. And I just want to you know, remind our listeners that you can join us because if you have questions about, well, really, can you do this as a college student? How do you do this as a college student? Or the student? parents of college or students. Or parents of college <laughs> students, you know, or, or I want to invest, you know, any of those things. <laughs> yeah, you can, you, <laughs> you can join us at 1-844-942-7866, 1-844-942-7866. Peter, you grew up in... Uh, well, where did you grow up? <laughs> I was born in China, lived uh, for the first 10 years, and then moved to Norway. Uh, yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of, I guess, like, well, growing up, there's always so much disparity I've, yeah. I've seen between the developing countries and the developed world, which is, I guess, like, why I was, like, initially became, like, had a moment of passion about this kind of stuff. So, and, and did you yeah. come to Penn knowing, or you know, was there an idea before you got to college that, like, I want to start something in college? Yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't really know anything about social entrepreneurship uh, and really learned like when I first came here, I had the motivation in in me, but I didn't know what form it was mm-hmm. and what mm-hmm. what you know what type it should be. Uh, but I actually took an online course like freshman year uh, with Professor McMillan, Professor mm-hmm. Thompson uh, from the Warren Entrepreneurship Department, mm-hmm. uh, and that was like the first introduction and an amazing way to kind of introduce myself. So That's, yeah. I don't know if they know that they would be so excited I to know that. Sent, actually, Professor McMillan is about to retire, yes, so I just yeah. sent him an email uh, oh, saying that. You know, you really inspired me in my journey. He was, he was like, this is one of the nicest notes I've oh, got on this I'm student. sure he was really and delighted. Thank you for taking the time to send it. <laughs> yeah. Too many of these things are on people's to-do lists yeah. and yeah. don't actually get yeah. done. for sure. So, and Natasha, um, you've had a lot of ideas along the way. So, and, and now you're, you're you know, excited about Maggie and uh, this idea of providing, you know, information to women to help them choose birth control via an, an app. Uh, this is a for-profit company you're, in, you're launching. 
Yeah. So I think it's very interesting to understand this problem because I I mean I'm from the UK and we have very good socialized healthcare. Like social the you know, you go to the NHS, you can get essentially whatever product you want. Um, there's still a, a, misin- a lot of misinformation in the UK. Like, we still get all those BuzzFeed articles telling us we're going to, like, get cervical cancer if we, like, eat certain food or anything like that. So there's still these media scares. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, you, you have much more access to, to these kinds of products. And so I think without taking the, with the political thing aside, I mean, it's... I would really love for this to be free for all mm-hmm. women. Mm-hmm. I think I, I, the fact that I would want to make money from this doesn't really feel right to me in a lot of ways. But I do think that in terms of actually scaling and, um, you know, growing into a proper company, uh, you're going to need some form of revenue yeah. stream. So I haven't really figured that part of it out yet. But there's a lot of information around data and and health outcomes and all these different kinds of things that we can try to track. And maybe, you know, if, if people can invest in these younger women to continue with school and, you know, be in great careers and enjoy themselves and avoid stressful trips to CVS to get Plan B, I think all the world will be a better place. Yeah. And so what's your plan? Uh, you know, you're graduating in a few months. Um, yeah, so, scary. So, yeah, thanks for the <laughs> reminder. I'm, I feel like I'm ready to be launched off into the world. Um, my plan right now is to go and work at a mid-sized tech company, which is growing very fast. Because what I can actually learn there is more uh, product management skills, have a better, better sense of responsibility, and learn from people who are much senior than me, much more senior than me. And then after that, I can really, within a couple of years, save some money and build, uh, continue to build this venture on the side. I think this is a side project that's just like going to be itching at me, you know, well into the middle of the night, until, <laughs> including last night. And, you know, we have an early start here compared to what yes, one hour it, most it, students are up. We, so. we do. We should pause and acknowledge that you guys are here at 8 a.m. We, we, we appreciate that you got up for us so, and for our listeners. Yeah. But, you know, this is something that I, sketch, I was sketching right into the middle of the night last night because you're just constantly thinking like how can this actually be better and so what I don't have any capital right now Um, uh, but I think a lot of people who are starting startups really try to raise capital much too early and they haven't necessarily thought through what the mission of their company Mm -hmm. is and what product they're actually going to build and whether or not the users like it so I'm doing all the user testing all the difficult stuff up front you know um, asking people about these very personal questions that they really often don't want to answer and seeing also how I can include men in the conversation because I think a lot of it has to do with in educating men about right. different contraceptions and hel- helping the male partners to feel more empowered and, and like that they can take an active role right. Um, right. In, their, in their partner's life. Yeah. I think that's a very important thing as that's well. And, and Peter, where, where are you in the... In yeah, in repurpose, thinking about repurpose and thinking about next steps. For sure. So we definitely want to take it forward after we graduate. Uh, and there's an incredible opportunity at Penn called the President's Engagement Price, yeah. which is a $200,000 grant for graduating Penn seniors who want to work on their nonprofit ventures. Uh, so we're in the final round for that competition, and we pitched, and we're just waiting to hear back from President Amy Gutman. That, uh, that is great. So, <laughs> you yes. can only assume she's listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amy. Um, so if we if, if that if that happens, then definitely that's the greatest opportunity for us to take it forward. But if not, we have some funding that we've gotten in the past, and we have other opportunities are coming up. Uh, so, def- but you know that's our plan A, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you had described repurpose to us, but it's complicated. And you talked about having a pitch deck. Yeah. You talked about. Do, do you have a a uh, have you have you worked? Have you guys talked about all the ways you've been supported uh, along the way and mm-hmm. opportunities to mm-hmm. try ideas? Try. Do you mm-hmm. have a, what's what's your pitch? Can you give us the short the short version of how do you describe repurpose? Because that's that's not so easy. Yeah, uh, 
And so the solution is a marketplace, and it centers around one group of beneficiaries and the small business owners. And it's two-sided. On the one side, you have uh, we connect these Kabadi wells, these small business owners, to uh, housing societies and boat generators to so get them more volume of waste flowing in. And on the other side, we help them aggregate their waste across different people. So instead of selling one-to-one, we're selling 10-to-1, and selling that in bulk would actually give them much better margins on the kilogram of waste. So in that sense, like, it improves the margins, it improves the volume, and that doubles the income. Uh, so, and it's all powered, or this back end is all powered through a technology platform that these small business owners can use on their phones. And we travel there, and we you know, talk to them, and they use WhatsApp to actually do business on a daily basis. So uh, there's a lot of, like, doubt it's about, oh, can they use smartphones? Well, yes, they can. Uh, so, and actually, you know, Word and Social Media Initiative has been, like, really helpful in, like, helping us, like, craft our pitch deck. Actually, one of the uh, colleagues, Tyler, I mean, he was in theater for, like, many years, yeah. and we had a pitch feedback session, and then he was just telling us all these ways, you know, position our body language and how to, uh, how to present and how to stand and how, you know mental tension so that was really really cool to hear as well that is yeah. great that is great i mean it is a, a tyler's on our, our our team tyler hoffman will say is that comes it's part of the wharton social impact team he comes yeah. out of theater mm-hmm. and uh you know he sort of speaks to the the value of, of diversity in so many ways like he brings this diverse knowledge set of like i know what you look like on stage let me tell you how to use that yeah. here so yeah <laughs> i think the team at the wharton social impact initiative has been amazing to work with over the last couple of years i mean i'm do they have to say that because they're on air? You can't see it, it but we're waving $50 bills. No, no, no. <laughs> no I, I, you know, I, I always tell the story. When I was moving into my house off campus, I needed a person to sign my lease that was going to affirm that I you know, was a staff member at the University of Pennsylvania to confirm that I went there. And obviously I, I called Sandy. So I have Sandy's number on my phone. I text her all the time. And, and I think it's especially as an international student, both Peter and I are international students with our parents living thousands of miles away. Um, it can be hard to find and you know find your home in a place and as big and as exciting as Penn. Um, so to have these kinds of opportunities and all the you know all the talks that we go to and the and the conferences and the opportunities to you know get sponsored to go to conferences in yeah. San Francisco if we want to, it's just it is a very incredible school. Yeah, it's oh. great. You guys, we appreciate you guys that. Make it easy to do. Yeah. So uh, I mean, you've talked about. Um, you know, as, as, like I'm developing a theory here, not not such a sophisticated theory, but as you talk about launching businesses, we have, you know, we have students who have passion around a particular purpose, and mm-hmm. and I, but you're in this place where you can also get great, as you as you were saying, uh, Natasha, you can get great uh, partners and and build a team and have that diversity, and then you've got the support of the Wharton Social Impact right. Initiative and the larger community and the President's Engagement Prize, President's Innovation Prize, all that is fabulous. Um, and really exciting to hear you guys bring this to life. I, I'm curious about uh, your partnerships, mm-hmm. uh, who you're working with, and, and and how. So, and Peter, let's turn to you. You, as we right. said, you haven't spent time. You haven't spent a lot of time in India, mm-hmm. but this is a, a, a tech solution for India to to solve, as we said, sort of to to raise incomes and lower waste. Mm-hmm. How, who's on your team that's helping you do this? Yeah, so we have a team of three people. So it's me, Aditya, and Svanika. And they're, we're all, I mean, I think like when building a team, a lot of people think about skill sets. But for us, it's really the personality, the fact that we three, you know, really work well together. And that's, I think, even more important than having a balanced skill set is have balanced 
personalities. Uh, and on the broader team, I know we have developed uh, so the marketplace has basically three users: the small business owners, the uh, waste producers, and the waste buyers, the recyclers. So we developed three partnerships for these three different streams on the ground and did the proof of concept. So we actually were there uh, for a month, you know, just like crafting these partnerships mm-hmm. and actually because that's we know that's the most important thing and to gain the trust of the local community. Given that you know, if I'm not Indian, and my, even though my partners are Indian, and but they're, we're, we're we're here in the states, right? We're, we're students here so it's really important to have that local connection so something that we really valued and we so, really wanted to do so so, uh, so yeah. what did you look for in, in uh, you know if you were coming up with these ideas what did you look for what did you find in team members it sounds like one of them like I hello I need somebody from India yeah what, what else did you need um, I think it was more I guess the motivation the drive mm-hmm. uh, and I think a lot of times like students do struggle with that it's mm-hmm. like do I go into a full-time <laughs> position in a big corporate or mm-hmm. do I want to start my own project my own, own idea and I think like when you meet somebody, like you clearly see this person is entrepreneurial, and I think that's the most important indicator of whether or not he or she is a great addition to the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition, it's like the way we work together, right? It's like not just like the personalities, but also like the way we brainstorm problems, the way we approach crises, because when we're there on the ground, like things happen all the time. I remember like the night before the pilot, our app was just completely crashing. So how do we fix that, <laughs> right? Wow. Uh, <laughs> so you need a good team to actually be able to approach these crises calmly. So. Yeah. Yeah. And and what about you, Tosh? How, what did you look for in a team? I've been looking for um, people with drive. Yeah. People that I enjoy working with, and uh, a lot of women actually. I mean, I think eventually I will probably like include men in this venture as I go along. But I think um, in general, there's so many amazing female technologists coming out of the school. And uh, in general, I think yeah, it, it, I think you know maybe these women who I want to work with. Uh, the, engineers I have Nastasia and Karen who are my two right hand uh, younger women that I'm working with so Nastasia is a junior and Karen's a sophomore they have so much energy and brightness in everything that they approach I think maybe because of senior year people are starting to wind down a little bit <laughs> go out drinking a little bit too frequently maybe but um, all the sophomores and, and, and the juniors they, they've got internships at Microsoft or they're applying for jobs at a firm and all the, they have these dreams of like Silicon Valley and like on all these different kinds of things um so just having somebody who can actually hold me accountable has been definitely the most yeah. important thing so far. And also having somebody, hopefully, that they can look up to me. That if, and if they do, that's like a very big motivation for me to continue. And also, um, shout out to the nursing professors as well. I think the nursing school, that is a very interesting partnership between Wharton and the nursing school. Uh, really Professor Teitelman, you know, when I was applying for the Presence Innovation Prize uh, earlier this semester, I sent out an email to five different uh, nursing professors and Professor Teitelman replied within less than 24 hours saying that she loved to mentor me for this project and I go meet with her like once a month and she's just very kind and very supportive um, all along the way and actually a lot of these nursing professors have built apps for different um, you know diseases and things that they want like cervical cancer so how do you help women to avoid cervical cancer Um, there's such a there's such a revolution that's that's you know like just building now in in medical knowledge and this that this intersection of technology biology medicine so it's great mm-hmm. and you know one of the things i've also observed i observed this in my classes i observed this in different environments i mean it's so interesting when you talk about the partnership with nursing the nursing school and the wharton school um so often w- I, I'm really keen on having our students tap the knowledge that's available. Like, don't solve a problem without knowing a lot exactly. about that problem. Yeah. Yeah. You need to do the research. You need to, or, you know, you need yeah. to tap the research. Uh, and as phenomenal as a researcher, I, I'll even say this, as phenomenal, phenomenal as these researchers are, 
they often don't have this entrepreneurial spark mm-hmm. that you've been mm-hmm. describing, yeah. Peter and, and Tosh. You know, they're like, okay, let's solve this. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, you know, if you can really connect, if we can connect the power of Wharton mm-hmm. with the power of the nursing school, the power yeah. of the medical school, the power of, you know, of these different schools and departments, wow, that's great. I think there are so many new opportunities in technology. And one of the things that all of these great researchers do is they write papers and then the information that they have in those papers sits in those papers and, like, is not accessed. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and that's a big thing that I'm trying to overcome. So, you know, a lot of these primary research studies have already, they've already interviewed thousands of women about the side effects that they've experienced from birth control products. So I just need to go in there, find those hints, find the, find the data, find the knowledge, and actually use that to actually build a better product. So, mm-hmm. so maybe let me follow up with you on this. And on, um, so LARCs, long-acting reversible contraceptives, yeah. are getting a, a, a tremendous amount of attention, right? right? We're seeing people, and so if you could you know, just uh, tell our listeners what those are, who, for folks who may not know, I'll just sort of say that, I mean, because of these issues of, like, do I remember to take the pill, the notion that you have these long-acting, I don't have to think about them, contraceptions is just, you know, really appealing for lots of women. And what we're seeing is teenage, uh, you know, and uh, pre- teenage pregnancy is dropping yeah. really significantly in this yeah. country. And, uh, you know, what I've seen is it suggests it's because of these long-acting contraceptions. So what are they? Yeah, so the long-acting long-acting reversible contraceptive methods are the two there's two of them there's the implant and the IUD and the implant is the next plan on you know armor up it goes in your arm uh the kind of couple inches long um implant that is inserted into your arm and then the IUD is an intrauterine device so that's when you actually have to get it implanted as well by a nurse practitioner um it's a small t-shaped object um, that goes in your into your uterus and I think the value of these products is that as you say you would be surprised how stressful it is to have to think about birth control every single day. Right. Um, and I think there's, with these methods particularly, you can have them for three to four years, you know, without having to get them taken off. And then with the Paragard, it's up to like 10 years, um, you know, for the IUD. And I mean, women just need one less thing to think about. I think that's what people really need to understand. <laughs> um, they have a lot of, and in, in some states, you can, like California, for example, in some clinics and, and pharmacies, you can get the pill for a year. But for most states and most people, you can only acquire the pill for three months or one month. Right. And, the, a and the fact is, you have to go to the pharmacy again. Yep. Um, or, you know, if you're on Depo-Provera, which is a complete injection, you have to go back and get another injection every three months from. Uh, from the doctor and I think I think people do want to be you know prevented against pregnancy and against all the different complications that come with it and a lot of women are against abortion as well this has really nothing to to do with abortion because um you know, if you use better contraception, right then yeah. you can avoid that. And I think that's a, that's a concern that I've really experienced a lot coming through. And I really respect that decision for a lot of people. Um, and again, I have to be able to, you know, tiptoe and understand all these very political aspects of this problem. And um, and so getting access to these long active methods can basically just mean that you can have the freedom and the peace of mind to focus on your work. And also with the with the IUD, for example, a lot of women actually stop getting their period uh, on the hormonal IUD. And the benefit with that is that you don't take days off of school because mm-hmm. of your periods. Now, it would be surprising to you, but there are many women at Warden uh, and, you know, who work at Penn probably as well, who who have to take days off because they have terrible cramps. 
And this is such an accepted thing about being a woman. It's just something that, you know, you find out when you're like 10 and you're like, oh, I'm going to have to get stuck with this period for the rest of my life. Like, better deal with that. Well, and there's <laughs> a billboard on, the, on my drive in and it's a, uh, I think, a non, some nonprofit education group in Philly. But it says like two absences per month times nine months equals and, it, and it, I don't remember. So they did a, a solid job marketing, but yeah. not airtight the data. <laughs> but then it talks about the impact of a child missing school with that frequency, like yeah. absences add up. Like mm, right. to say, yeah. oh, once a month, you know, it's fine that I'm missing something, but to see the cumulative right. effects of right. missing school. It's also painful and like very, has a lot of anxiety around it as well. I think the one thing that I'm discovering my user testing is that there are panic moments that happen in women's lives. It's That's when you first get your period. It's when you have to go to CVS to get plan B. It's when a condom breaks. It's when your period's a couple of days late. It's when you're bleeding too much. You know, these are things that women have to deal with all the time, constantly. And I think the fact that women have been able to come into this bar in education and different political office, places of power, etc. Um, I think if I could build something right. in this area that really solves this problem, yeah, then that would accelerate a lot of people's, you know, high-powered careers and education and everything. The other statistic that's stunning to me is the percentage of pregnancies in the United States that are unplanned. Yeah, it's and, like over 50%. It's over 50%. And, 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 yeah. and, you know, so this is, let's, you know, to be clear, these, this is women, I mean, this includes women in their 30s and 40s saying, who have been, you know, who are married and have a couple kids. Yep. Uh, and, you know, and, and then are saying, oops, and they may well be delighted to have these children. Yep. But they weren't planned. But not only that, but about more than half of unplanned pregnancies are caused by contraceptive failures. Uh. So these are people who were using contraceptive methods, condoms, pills, etc., but just use them incorrectly or inconsistently. And as, as we've all understood from, I mean, like, at least from my personal experiences and, and the friends around me, is that you can't be too careful. You know, there's, 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 we are trying to be so careful all the time and we're trying to make sure that we're doing the best for ourselves. And yet sometimes because we're using the methods in, incorrectly, uh, the system, in a sense, kind of fails us and it's right. not really our fault. Like, we need to have better information about the products, like the long-acting methods that actually... Um, do help actually prevent pregnancy for years at a time. Right. And one right. of the things that, you know, <clears throat> when you talk about issues um, ranging from, you know, fetal health, abortion, and whatever you're considering, you're looking upstream yeah, and solving exactly. the problem before it has, you know, these additional emotional and social costs. Massive outcomes yep, socially. Yeah. If you think about if 50% of pregnancies are unplanned, how long does that pregnancy persist before the mother is taking appropriate prenatal care? Oh, yeah, right. right? Sure. So even right. and you can think about this from, you know, you could say irresponsible 15 year old, but you can also say I'm not going to name names on the radio. So we've a dear family friend, unexpected baby number four or five. I think she was in her 40s. She thought she was going through menopause, was treating it with margaritas. <laughs> And, oh my, you oh my know, goodness. and going, yeah. oh my god, I'm just feeling terrible these yes, days. Yes. And you're, you know, you're not doing what's then, you sure, know, necessarily yeah. medically best if you're not aware of the pregnancy. Right. So then you can think about fetal alcohol syndrome. You can think about, um, mal yeah. you know, malnutrition, sure. Sure. not taking right. folic acid. Well, so the there's other, a right. huge and the other, range yeah. of, of social impacts and and financial right. impact. Well, and then, yeah. I mean, if you look at the data uh, on poverty in you know around the world. Unplanned pregnancies, being a single, I mean, the, the yeah. poorest group in the United States on many, many dimensions is are single mothers. You know, yeah. it is really hard to raise a child, yeah. uh, and uh, you know, and have enough money to cover yourself. And, yeah, and your I kids. think so, like having having a small startup is very difficult for, you know, helping to change policies and these kinds of things. But 
if I can help a certain number of women who do have insurance or who have yep. access to different, um, you know, nonprofits who can actually help them pay well, out of pocket there, for these methods. There are lots of resources you'll connect people to. But yeah. I want to I want to shift gears and and we we should uh, wrap this up. Um, so. Peter, let's turn to you, and you know anybody sure. who's listening is going to be thinking, "Wow, these students are so smart. They're so energetic. They're so passionate. They have great teams. They've gotten a great education at Wharton." So, a lot of things that are really in- inspiring also could be daunting. Like, yeah, well, they can do it. I can't. <laughs> uh, so, what's your advice to, to maybe high school students, other college students who are, you know, at, at other kinds of universities may not have these resources about how do you pursue an entrepreneurial career? Yeah, and that's interesting because I'm actually a tutor for a lot of high school students Excellent. who are looking yeah. to do some of these yeah. projects, yeah. right, because they're applying for these, some, some, some of these schools. And um, one of the advice, I would, the biggest advice I would give is that there's never too late to start. Um, that is, starting is actually the easiest part. Uh, you know, you start with discovering a problem, and there's so many ways of doing that. You take an online class, you volunteer in your local community, you travel to a developing country. I mean, there's so many ways to be in touch with the problem um, and think through your own experiences. Um, but I think, like, beyond that, starting is the easiest part, but persevering is the hardest part. Mm-hmm, uh, and mm-hmm. doing that requires support, and doing that requires a great team to hold you accountable. accountable. Uh, so in that sense, like, uh, that would be the biggest advice. Um, and then other than that, I think um, one of the things I've learned is that just fail fast, fail often. I mean, mm-hmm. that's been repeated so many times in, entre- in entrepreneurship. But it's just spend as little time on the whiteboard, and but just go out there in the field and just, you know, uh, and just experiment, and you will find better answers there. All right. I'm looking at the clock, and suddenly we have to, <laughs> have to go take a break. You've been listening to Dollars and Change. Uh, we'll be back after a brief moment. Fabulous thanks to our terrific students, Peter Yemdahl and Tosh Doherty, and good luck with your ventures. Thank, Thank you for having us. Thank thanks. You. We'll be right back. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 